Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we talk with creative Mississippians. I'm your host, Kristen Brandt, Arts Industry Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Jennifer Beasley. Jennifer has been serving as the Artistic Director for the Mississippi Metropolitan Ballet, and she is also the owner of the Mississippi Metropolitan Dance Academy. Today, we are going to talk about the upcoming performance of the Nutcracker Ballet by the Mississippi Metropolitan Ballet Company, which marks the company's 30th anniversary season. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and when, where you received your training as a dancer? Um, yes, um, I'm originally from Monroe, Louisiana, which is not far from here. Um, I grew up in a small town, um, trained with a regional company, Twin City Ballet, in Monroe. Um, and then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and trained at the University of Louisville and with Louisville Ballet, and then danced professionally with Louisville Ballet as well there, and then moved to Jackson to dance with Ballet Mississippi when there was a professional company here in Jackson, um, and danced with Ballet Mississippi, the professional company, until it closed in 1993. Um, And then at that time, a friend of mine, Cherry Barnett, had started what at that time was the Madison Civic Ballet. Um, She began the Madison Civic Ballet in 1992. Um, And then after the company closed, she invited me to come teach at the Madison Civic Ballet. And then in 1997, decided that she no longer wanted to be the director and asked me if I would take over. So at that time, I was trying to decide if I still wanted to dance professionally, which means meant that I would have to move from Jack, from Jackson at that point, um, and I had gotten married, just gotten married, and wasn't sure that that was a step that I wanted to take. So I said, I'm, I'm going to try teaching and see if I like this. wasn't wasn't sure, and so I had a couple years to teach and decided that I really did like teaching. and And by 1997, I was like, okay, I, I think I could do this. So was able to step in and take over as the director at that point. And then at that point, we changed the name to the Mississippi Metropolitan Ballet, and then the rest is history. (laughs) So you came to Mississippi for dance. I did, yeah. I think it uh, sometimes surprises people to learn that we have such a strong performing arts community here, especially around Bellhaven. Right, we do, we do. And that, uh, around Bellhaven, it has grown even since I've watched, I've watched it grow since I've been here. It's gotten so much stronger even over the years that I've been here. You've been involved in the USA International Ballet Competition when it's been here in Jackson. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Oh, yes. Um, I've been involved different ways. Um, I've had several of our students attend the the dance school over the years um, um, and just, you know, watch the 
how they've grown through that process and the tremendous faculty that the IBC brings in for the school. This past IBC, um, I was the chairman of the Tutu Fashion Show, which was something totally, totally different, um, but fun. Um, so I was able to supply the dancers for the fashion show and coordinate the fashion show with with um, Claudia Foltz, who um, is the owner of Tutu.com. So it was wonderful to get, you know, I've always ordered things, um, and I, I love to design tutus, and, you know, I don't sew myself, but I can create things. And so it was wonderful to meet her and work with her and and um, just to just something different than the, the actual dancing part of <laughs> um, of of the competition. So so that was kind of my role this past seat, uh, year of the IBC, and that was a lot of fun. So it sounds like you've had a long uh, history of, or experience working with uh, and instructing youth in ballet. Can you tell me a little bit about what you think really engages uh, children about ballet performances and getting involved in that? Um, I well, I, I think um, I think it takes. I think you know, ballet is in this day and age. It's 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 a very structured. Um, I would say it's very structured, and so I think it takes it, it takes discipline, and it takes you know a lot of going to class and a lot of repetition, um, and it and it's not. It's not instant gratification, so I think I even I see a difference in the children of today, even from the from the children that I started teaching back in the '90s, in the early '90s. Um, and so it's hard. Um, so it's hard to guide those children as you're not going to learn this step today. You're going to have to work on this step, and you're going to have to do this step over and over and over. It's repetition, and it's muscle memory, and to teach them what muscle memory means. Um, and it's just doing it over and over until your muscles remember how to do it, how to do the step. And it's, that's just repetition. And so that, that's difficult for children because they want that instant gratification these days. And they don't understand that. And, you know, and then they get bored with it. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore because it's not any fun. You know, but the ones that really c- can get out and see a ballet, that's why I encourage, I encourage all of our younger students in the school that aren't quite old enough yet to be in the performances, hey, come see the Nutcracker or come see a performance. Just have your child see the ballet and fall in love with the magic of the ballet. That's the first step for them to see it live, a live production on the stage and say, hey, mom, I want, I want to do that. That's the first step, I feel like, to, to get them to fall in love with the ballet and, and with live theater. And, and even if it's not that, if it's some other performing arts, if it's the music or if it's, if it's theater or something else, but to get them to fall in love and, and to, to have that passion. And then, then you can get them in the class, and then they see what they're working towards. I can definitely relate to that. I, uh, I was brought to see The Nutcracker, one of the Mississippi Metropolitan Ballet performances, um, because when I was in elementary school, several of my classmates were involved in the production. They were little mice and stuff, and I thought that was so interesting, and I was a little bit jealous, you know, of <laughs> how amazing the, the production came out and how great they did, but I failed out of tumble tots, so... <laughs> There was no hope there. Oh, I doubt that. (laughs) But congratulations to the Mississippi Metropolitan Ballet on its 30th anniversary production. Thank you. Thank you. That's quite an achievement. Thank you. 
Uh, you've been with the company, you said, since 97? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Can you tell me some about the early years of the ballet's productions? Um, well, we we began, like I said, in Madison at the Madison County Cultural Center. And, and like I said, the, the company, Madison Civic Ballet, began in 1992. Cherry Barnett and Dolan Shoemaker um, began the the. Madison Civic Ballet in that gym, it's a gymatorium that still stands there. It's the old Madison High School, um, which is being turned into City Hall now. Um, but she founded that building with the mayor of Madison back then and said this could be a great performing arts venue. And they we all had many middle school dances there. Growing yes, up. yes. And so they all worked so hard. Those, those, the Jerry and Dolan and those volunteers, they worked so hard to get that that place together and. And so the first year they didn't have a Nutcracker. So it is our 31st season, but the first year they didn't have a Nutcracker. So that's why it's our 30th, 30th Nutcracker. Um, so they worked hard through the first year so that they could have a Nutcracker that that one-year anniversary, that next December. Um, and so they had five years, basically five years before I came along. But because Cherry was a friend of mine, I, I went and saw, you know, supported her and went and saw because I was still dancing professionally when I saw all their productions. Um, and, you know, it was, they, it was um, it, for, for the space that they had, I mean, they did amazing things, you know, and in, in like I said, it is a geomatorium. Um, and they had a lot of students. There was so much interest in Madison, you know, because Madison was just very small at that time. But there was tons of interest and tons of, of, you know, quite a few dancers for that size stage. So you were limited what you could put out on the stage as far as sets and that type thing because you, you had to put the dancers out there. <laughs> so, um, so you know, it wasn't, it wasn't elaborate as far as sets goes, but um, they had an amazing amount of volunteers that made, that made beautiful costumes for them. And, you know, it was a small production, but, you know, they, but it, was, it was all volunteer-driven, and um, they put on a pretty what they could, a pretty amazing production. But back then it was all about, because it was a gym-type setting, they could do a tea party that was pretty nice out on the gym floor, and that's what they kind of became known for, and those tea parties would sell out, you know, immediately. Um, and that went on for several years. So we, we've definitely grown since our humble beginnings, I would like to say. Um, um, but, you know, if it wasn't for that, you know, we wouldn't be where we were today. So we're, we're proud of where, where we've become. How's the company different now? Um, I think we've tripled in size, um, probably tripled if more. I'm, I'm not sure exactly the numbers, but... But definitely much larger, um, and uh, you know the production itself is a much a much grander scale production. Um, you know our our costumes are 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 you know more extravagant, more um, not all made by volunteers, and and um, uh, we order a lot of our costumes from you know overseas and and a lot of our sets are are professionally made and you know so it's it's a much uh, grander production I would say um, and just you know just everything everything is is bigger and everything is better I would say and we've we've just um, we've grown I mean we've we've grown in size number and everything and experience. You, you carry all those past shows with you year yeah, to year. Do you yeah. have any favorite memories from a past performance? Oh, gosh. Um, there's just been so many. It's hard to it's hard to it's hard to remember. But we've had, you know, we've we've had a few dancers go on to professional careers. And you think of those dancers and the, the roles that they 
that they performed, you know, when they were here. We've had Mary-Kate Shearer, who's dancing now with Chattanooga Ballet, um, and she danced Calera, and she danced Our Snow Queen, and Laura Hart, who is, is dancing with Georgia Ballet. She also danced those lead roles here, Calera and Snow Queen as well. But you, you just think about, you know, those girls that you foster from their time that they're, you know, three years old in their little tap shoes and... And you just, I mean, I just become very proud of, 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 you know, what we've accomplished. And even if they don't become professional dancers, just what about their ballet training? There's, we have so many, so many just well-rounded young ladies that I just can't say enough about what the discipline of ballet has done for them in their lives. You know, even if they didn't go on to dance professionally, you know, we have marine biologists and doctors and dentists and, you know, and they'll all come back and say, the discipline of ballet, what they learned from ballet just held them throughout their lives. So that makes me feel special. <laughs> okay, I can definitely see that. Um, besides yourself, what other individuals are involved in leading the productions of the Metropolitan Ballet? Um, as far as staff goes, there um, there's just three of us. There's myself and then Crystal Skelton is the artistic associate. Crystal has um, had many roles throughout the year. She was um, she was our first executive director that she took on that role, I think, back in 2013. Um, and then at one point, she was the assistant artistic director. Um, and now she stepped back a little bit as the artistic associate. And then um, our current executive director is Amanda Kibble. And then we also um, have Janet Shearer, who right now is just an acting advisory board member, but Janet is also one of our former executive directors, and she steps in and helps quite a bit as well. Um, but as far as the three staff members, just Crystal, myself, and um, Amanda. Um, and then we've also had in the past Eric Kegler, who has been on our staff and is usually in, has always... Is, as I can remember, I think he has since 2002 been in our Nutcracker production as Drosselmeyer and Mother Ginger, but this year is not going to be in the production. That's the first year in a very long time, but he's also on our school staff and has been very helpful in bringing the organization to where it is today as well. I'm continually impressed by the uh, strength that small teams of arts professionals have when they collaborate and come together. What do you think the strengths that this team offers when they collaborate on a production? Um, I think I think we all come from very different backgrounds, but it's amazing like how many times in a room, like as far as correcting the dancers or or seeing something as rehearsal wise, we say the same thing. We all think alike. Like in, in that respect, but but we all have our individual, we're all our individual selves, um, but we all think alike. Like as far as the artistic staff, I'm saying, um, you get us together in a rehearsal room and we're, you know, it's like we're almost the same person and we all, we all come together and think alike, but then as far as choreographically, we can all add our own different style and we're very different that way. So we, we just work together very well and we've worked together since 2002. And both of both Eric and Crystal came here um, that year. Well, Crystal came to work for the IBC as the artistic administrator's assistant that year, and Eric came that same year as well. So we've all worked together since 2002, and it's just it's just been a great relationship. 
This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kristen Brandt, Arts Industry Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today, I'm talking with Jennifer Beasley about the Mississippi Metropolitan Ballet's upcoming holiday performance of The Nutcracker. Jennifer, when you danced professionally, did you perform in The Nutcracker? I did, many times. What role did you play? I laugh. My students, um, they'll say, but Miss Jennifer, I was a mouse last year. (laughs) And I'll say, well, you know, I was the sugar plum probably like 10 years in a row. And they look at me with their eyes really wide. <laughs> but but really, the role that I was, I was the Columbine doll because I'm little. I was that doll, I don't know how many times, probably every performance of The Nutcracker, I was the Columbine doll. Um, that was like my signature role. But I, I don't know. I was many roles. I was Clara once when I was young, um, and I was... Chinese once, um, the Columbine doll for sure. I was in the snow. I was a snowflake, and I was in the Waltz of the Flowers. Um, I was Sugar Plum Fairy. I was in many, 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 many roles and many, many Nutcrackers. When you when you dance with a larger uh, professional company, like when I was in Louisville Ballet, we did um, we did pretty much the whole month of of December of Nutcrackers and then I think we had like two days off for Christmas and then had to come back and we did Nutcrackers after Christmas as well um, into the new year so I, I don't remember our total number but I think it was it was something like I don't know 28 to 30 Nutcrackers um, for those for the holiday season there so that was because you would have sometimes two a day but you'd get a few days off so those those were fun days, fun times. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure that being able to swap roles year to year helped keep the production fresh for people who have to yeah. perform it often. Yes, definitely. It's a lot of fun. And it ensures you have understudies for a lot of different parts. That's right. That's right. I, quite quite a few times I had to go in for, for, for people. And it just, I mean, it happens. It has to happen. People get injured all the time. And actually, I can remember a show where it's just, it's the, it's so confusing the the casting when it goes up you know I had a, there was a show one time that somebody just didn't show up because they were, it was just confusing they didn't know that they were supposed to be there on that day it was just a mistake and so somebody else has to go in you know somebody didn't show up it happens so the show must go on that's right <laughs> what's the history of the Nutcracker as it fits into the larger history of ballet. Um, the Nutcracker is, is loosely based on um, a story by E.T.A. Hoffman, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King, which is about a girl who befriends a nutcracker that comes to life on Christmas Eve and wages battle against the evil Mouse King. 
Um, Hoffman's story is much darker than the ballet version that you actually see on the stage um, these days. In uh, 1892, the Imperial Russian ballet choreographer Marius Petipa, um he chose to follow a lighter adapt adaptation of of the story um and that story was by alexander dumas um, and that's the count of monte cristo yes, and the three musketeers yes yes so a little bit of a lighter a lighter version and that's that's what you see today um and the ballet actually premiered in december of that that same year of 1892 um in saint petersburg russia and what's so funny is that the, it got really bad reviews. Um, it was kind of it was kind of a flop. Um, it was it was deemed a failure. Um, there was like nothing good about it. Like it, it, the the critics said the costumes were bad, the sets were bad, the 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 dancer that performed the Sugar Plum had bad reviews. Um, <laughs> there was nothing great about it. So it kind of like went by the wayside for a little while, and then. Um, in 1944, San Francisco Ballet in the U.S. Um, performed the first complete version of the Nutcracker. And then later on in 1954, George Balanchine premiered his version on New York City Ballet of the Nutcracker. You know, it's uh, it's kind of sad, but uh, Tchaikovsky actually um, passed in 1892, so he didn't ever get to see the success that the Nutcracker mm. became. No, he didn't. He didn't. That's kind of sad. And I mean, this the story's written over two hundred years ago, and the ballet's been in production for one hundred and thirty years. Yes, um, so that's that's quite a tradition to it be is. able to maintain. It is, and I mean, who who would have known that eighty years later, that almost every professional company in the U.S. and abroad would be performing it at Christmas? I mean, when it was first a, a flop back in Russia. It's as essential as the Christmas Carol is for it some is. people. It's a part of a holiday tradition. It is. It is. And I mean, as far as why companies do it, I mean, it's a tradition and, and, and everybody loves it. But it's so popular because it, it really does. It pays the bills for professional companies for their entire season. I mean, you know, that's why they do so many performances. I mean, people come to see it and it's it's it's. You know, it's it pay it does it pays for entire seasons for the companies. So, I always think it's so fascinating to see you know a story written in a really specific context. This is uh, Etia Hoffman is a German writer and kind of this gothic dark romantic tradition, and uh, he's written this uh, fairy tale and. It's passed through kind of this French lens with Dumas, yes. and then it's passing through and getting choreographed, and the story's translated again, but the art form continues to endure, uh, even outside that really small context. I mean, uh, I'm not sure that many people are very familiar with how significant nutcrackers are to German holidays. Right, right. I agree. I agree. So it's it's pretty special, and it's just I don't know I I just think I mean you really think about it I mean I, and it's hard when you're trying to tell the kids like this is like the toy of the century like you should look at this Nutcracker like and you try to you try to relate it to something of of today you know but because they don't they don't understand you know and so. So you, you just, I try to come across with a story of this is, I don't know, the 
whatever the toy of the year is, <laughs> you know, so, but, but it, but it does, but for audiences, I don't, I've, I've tried to think about what is it for the audience. And I just think that, I don't, I think it's maybe the, the ballet's ability to just reach out and, and take a part of the audience that maybe triggers like that, that warm and fuzzy feeling of maybe like a holiday memory for them or for, for that individual person in the audience that, that makes it special. So you indicated that a lot of ballet companies rely on the Nutcracker performances to support their seasons throughout the year. Mm -hmm. uh, what has contributed to the growth of the Metropolitan Ballet's production of the Nutcracker? Um, I, I think it's been the quality of our of our product. Um, I think each year we we strive to present a high quality production, and I think that attracts both our audience and and our dancers. And in turn, I think that that has bolstered our ability both financially and through and through the talents and manpower of our MMB dancers and our families. Um, and then we continue to grow each year. But I, I think that we, I think that we, I think that our students continue to get better and better. And I think that that, that our audience sees that and appreciates that. And I think that's what, what we strive to do in our school and our company. You're a nonprofit organization, that's right? We are. What major sources of funding do you use to uh, also support your programs? Well, we rely on grants, like the one from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and um, ticket sales, which barely covers, but outside of that, it's, it's, it's just private donations. And you were telling me a little bit about the uh, regional dance America Southeast and how mm -hmm. uh, the ballet is an honor company there. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means for listeners and how that impacts your company's growth and the development of dancers? Yes. Um, we became a member of Regional Dance America in 2008, and it's a, a member-driven organization. Um, there are five regions. We're in the Southeast region. Um, made up of pre-professional uh, nonprofit ballet companies, um, and we're the only company in the in the state of Mississippi that is a member. Um, there's you have there's an audition process to become a member, um, and you can come in. There are three levels. There's like an intern company, a performing company, and an honor company. In 2008, we came in as a performing company, and um, two years ago, we were we were um, bumped up to the status of an honor company, um, which is the highest status. Um, and part of being a member is that you, the the organization sends an adjudicator, which is a, a highly respected um, individual in the dance world, to your state or to your company each year. And the adjudicator will come, and he will watch me or Crystal teach our company in class, and he'll adjudicate us, basically. You're peer-reviewed. Right. And he'll take, you know, all kinds of notes about my class and how I teach class and, and the students and evaluate the students in class. Um, and then he'll watch us present. Usually we present, you can present up to five pieces of choreography. Um, and he selects what he or she selects which uh, piece that will perform in it at the at the annual festival, which is in May usually, um, and then writes up 
writes up each a review on each of the pieces and then selects which ones gets performed and then which night that it gets performed on, being there's a gala night, which is deemed the best night. Um, so you want to stay on your toes because everybody in the region reads that report. <laughs> and um, you just, I mean, it, it basically keeps us on our toes. And we, you know, you, you, want, you want to do well. And, and um, you, know, a lot, you know, you get a lot of calls a lot of times I mean, saying, you know, when people are looking for a dance school, they want to know if you're a competition school, do you go to competitions and you do this? I'm like, no, that's not what we're about. And really try to explain that, but we do this instead, and this is much more quality, and this is, you know, it's really a good organization, and it's, it's, it really um, it's an alternative to that whole competition world, something different. Um, and that challenge really can be motivating. It can, and it is a reputable person, that they, or like a really well-known person that I, I want to see. You know, I, I want feedback on what I'm doing. You know, I, I, you know good, whether it be good or bad, you know, I, I want people, I, I, I want to know that what I'm doing is good for these students, you know, and if it's not, I want somebody to tell me, you know, and I would love to hear it from, from the people that they send. So it's, it's a really good organization. And then... It gets these, our dancers, I feel like, in Mississippi get a little bit sheltered because there's not a professional company. I mean, yes, they get to see the IBC, but they don't get to go see a full-length Giselle or there's just nothing right here. I mean, you know, they have to travel to go see a full-length ballet. And so I feel they get a little sheltered. So they so they get out and they get to be amongst their peers that, you know, that that do the same thing that they do, that... that that study ballet, you know, all these hours a week, and that, and it, and so in that, in that form, it, it's good. It's good for them because you know they, they're, they get, they get down. They're like, you know, they go to all different schools. They all don't go to the same school, and a lot of times they're like, you know, my friends don't understand what I do. I'm the only one that goes to this school that does this and spends all these hours in the ballet studio and all of this. So it gets them amongst their peers, and that that's a good thing, and. So it's been a good organization for us. So, Well, I think that uh, we talked a little earlier about how people return year after year to see the Nutcracker. And uh, having been in production for so long and having people be so familiar with it, what makes this year's production distinct? Well, I think we've we've made a lot of changes this year. We, um, We have a new, a growing Christmas tree prop. Um... And, By growing, what do you mean? Uh, well, you know, the Christmas tree uh, gets bigger, grows in the in the party scene, um, and we've had the same. Although we had an amazing, we had an amazing grows, growing Christmas tree probably for the past ten years. We decided to get a new one this year, so so that'll be something different. Um, so we have that. That's new. We have. Um, I've changed the battle scene choreography, which has been the same choreography since I started. I think in nineteen ninety seven. Um, so I added some larger soldiers and mice with the smaller soldiers and mice. So I added 16 additional dancers in the party scene. So there's a lot going on in the party. I mean, I mean in the battle scene. Um, so there's there's a whole lot more going on in the battle scene. Um, we changed up a lot. We also added a new Arabian choreography. There's actually two versions of the Arabian um, that will be done on two of the four shows. We'll do the old version for two shows and the new version for two shows. Um, we changed up some of our Russian choreography, so we've changed a lot of the choreography um, this year for the for the anniversary 
So, um, and we also have some amazing guest artists coming. Um, we have Danielis Munoz, who is our Sugar Plum Fairy. And she is, um, she studied at the prestigious Cuban National Ballet School, and she danced with the Cuban National Ballet and Mexico Ballet and Tulsa Ballet. And Josu Gomez will be her cavalier, and he's originally from Colombia, and he danced with the English National Ballet and Birmingham Royal Ballet in, uh, in Great Britain. And then Kyler Durrance, he'll dance the title role of the Nutcracker. Kyler has danced with us before. He's a senior dance major at the University of Alabama. And then Dexter Bishop, who is um, our, uh, he's an alumni. Dexter actually danced in our first Nutcracker as a young boy. And he is um, a native of Clinton. He's from Clinton. He danced professionally with Missouri Ballet Theater. He's back home now. He works with Attaché in Clinton, the show choir. And um, he'll be performing the role of Air Drosselmeyer. So we're excited about that. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kristen Brandt from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with our guest, Jennifer Beasley. Welcome back to the last half of our show. Thanks. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the upcoming 30th anniversary performance of The Nutcracker by the Mississippi Metropolitan Ballet. Can you tell me how many local dancers will be involved in this performance and what their ages are? Sure. Um, we have about 150 this year uh, dancers. We had a tremendous turnout at our auditions this year, so we're excited about that. Oh yeah, no, a lot of auditions is a really great, um, really great problem to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it becomes a little difficult in casting. We had to do several, several double cast roles this year. So. Uh, what all goes into this production? You've got your dancers, and you've also got a lot of behind-the-scenes work going on to make sure that they're supported and have kind of the most luscious landscape and the best background music and everything's timed perfectly. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, there's so much that goes into the production. Um, but we're we're so lucky. We have an amazing volunteer group um, in our parents' guild that, that really helps out with a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's taken, over the years, has taken a lot of that off of me. Um, we have a very, very volunteer-driven organization. So um, we they donate their time and skills in areas such as sewing costumes, building sets, um, work in our gift shops and concessions at performances, planning our ancillary events, 
coordinating our silent auction that we have um, in the lobby at our production, ushering. Um, we even have a volunteer that handles our ticket sales, um, hospitality. The list goes on and on. So our volunteers really help in many, many areas. But as far as the dancers, you know, yes, like music and double casting, um, you know, that that comes into play that the costume has to fit you know, the the dancers have to be the same size, so the costume, you know, fits both cast. And it gets a little more tricky when you have more dancers. Well, if uh, the Parents Guild is anything like the Band Boosters group, uh, those parents are a force to be reckoned with. Definitely, definitely. We couldn't do it without them. What is the process for a dancer to participate in your productions, especially the production of the Nutcracker? What do you require from them? Well, we have our company dancers who audition um, over the summer to be in our performing company, and they have a little more requirements than than our non-company dancers. Um, The company dancers have a certain amount of classes that they have to take during the week. Company dancers have to be eight years old. Um, So our company dancers are from eight eight years old to 18 years old, um, and they take Pretty much, well, they take at least three days a week, depending on their age, three or four, five days a week in classes, and then um, rehearsals on Saturday and a couple of days during the week as well. Um, but then we have some non-company roles that we offer to our school children that are just seven, are like seven, eight, and nine-year-olds that are lesser roles, and those um, those those children just have to come, you know, they take their normal amount of classes during the week whatever for their level and then they they just come for a limited amount of rehearsal on Saturday as well um so it's like a sept for those for those children it's like a September to the performance time commitment to come on Saturday and they only get like one absence during that time so it's quite a commitment for them um but but we we have so many that want to do it so it's great it is your performance is coming up uh December 2nd and 3rd that's correct so you've been preparing for this uh, since August? Um, well, 1st of September is pretty much when we started, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of time to go into uh, production. Uh, and I think that it's you know always so fascinating to see how many hours lead up to making this one amazing night of shows. And then you have your uh, yeah. whole weekend uh, for people to enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But it's worth it. We 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 love doing what we do and putting on the performance and just seeing the smiles on the on the dancers' faces. It's it's definitely all worth it. You've told us about some uh, interesting guest artists who will be joining your local dancers mm-hmm. for the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was curious: Do you have any dancers who've participated over the years and grown into different roles the way that you were able to play different parts? Definitely, yes. Like all of our, I think we have seven soloists this year, and all of those girls have, they started when they were um, eight in the company when they were eligible, and they all started, you know, in the lower roles like angels and gumdrops and have worked their way up through all the parts, and so so that's that's what they do. I mean, that's what all the, the company's dancers who, who who stay with it and, and end up, you know, when they're 17 and 18. They just graduate through the parts and look forward each year to what part they're going to be. So that creates a lot of excitement for them to see what part they're going to be the next year. 
Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your outreach associated with the Nutcracker? Um, yeah, our outreach each year has has been a little bit different. Um, we this year, the past two years, we've done um, an outreach performance for all of the Madison County schools second graders, where they bust in all of the second graders to Ridgeland High School for us to do a performance for them. That's what we've done for this this past two years. But the years all before that, before COVID, I, I believe, we would go to a select we would go to select um, rural schools um, to present excerpts of the Nutcracker. But we just thought that the, the, the venue at Ridgeland High School was a little better, that we could show a little more by busing the children in this way. So this has worked for us uh, um, a little better. Um, we also um, we bring in um, different organizations like from Sunnybrook and Magnolia Speech School, um, from different um, organizations like that to come to, a, to our final dress rehearsal performance for free um, as well um, to, to, to see the performance. Um, and then we perform um, at, we performed at Mistletoe um, Marketplace this year at the children's event. Um, so just, just any area that we can reach out into the community <laughs> that gives us an opportunity for our dancers to, to be, to share the magic of the Nutcracker, we're there. <laughs> Earlier we talked a little bit about the early days uh, of the Nutcracker performance and how it was at the Cultural Center in Madison. You're now at the uh, Performing Arts Building at Jackson Academy, and I think I went to one of the first years y'all were performing in that space, and it suits you very well. Um, how did that come about, and uh, what makes you keep returning to that space? Um, I, I think... It, it suits our needs there you know we we got in there that that first year just you know there's not a great you know mid mid-sized performing space in the area you know that's and, and I think it seats 800 people which is it's good for us it's not 3,000 people and and you know we can we can feel that and and feel comfortable with our shows um and they are great to work with and they are able to rent since we've been there since 2010 they rent it to us three times a year and they know what to expect with us and we know what to expect with them and we work really well together um and it you know it just it works, and we know the venue, and and um, and so far, I mean, we haven't outgrown it yet. Knock on wood. Um, so we're very comfortable there. How many people do you have come see the Nutcracker uh, annually? Um, usually, well, we we sold out the three shows, which was why we added the fourth. So, but the fourth show that we added has to be, we have to get it all in a weekend. So it's a Sunday evening show, which is not a great, a great time. So that Sunday evening show, um, gets close to sold out, but it's as of last year, it hasn't been totally sold out. So 800 times three is 2,400 and then about half. So close to 3000. That's a lot of people. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Uh, where, what can people do to find out more about this year's performance? How can they buy tickets or uh, connect with you? Um, they can buy tickets at our website, which is msmetroballet.com, or they can call for more information, and that number is 601-853-4508. 
In addition to the Nutcracker production, you have an after-performance event called Land of the Sweets. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Um, yeah, yes. We um, transform the activities building at JA into a into a beautiful winter wonderland, Land of Sweets um, event. That's another thing that our that our guild does. It, that just is amazing um a lot of little paper snowflakes to clean up a lot it's more than that <laughs> i mean it's like wow it, it's it's amazing it's beautiful in there and um what it is is they set up four or five well i think four or five little different vignettes from the um from from the nutcracker production so um and you the children will get like a little passport and they will um, go around to each of the different, like like one will be the Spanish characters in their Spanish land, and they'll go and they'll get their passport stamped by the the Spanish characters, and then they'll get a souvenir from the Spanish characters, um, and then they'll go to the next one, which might be the land of snow, and same thing. And then in the middle is the big sugar plum, and I'm I'm not going to reveal what she's sitting on, but it's it's pretty amazing in the middle. Um, as well and the then, ambiguous throne oh it's it's more than a throne it's <laughs> and uh you'll some, just have to buy a ticket to, to find buy, out you have to buy a ticket to find out um and then nothing bunt cakes um donates bunt cakes um so they'll have a little refreshments and hot cocoa at the end um and then just get to visit and mingle with the characters but it's a really fun event I think it's so uh, great, especially for kids to be able to connect with the performers and really engage and see that this is a place that I could be. You know, right. this is this right. is potential here. And right. it, it, it's such an important aspect. I, I think I remember uh, being four years old at a performance of Winnie the Pooh at New Stage, and I still remember getting to ask Christopher Robin questions yes. after. <laughs> so I think that those experiences, especially combined with the performance, really help things stick with kids. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we want. We want to create memories for them. Um, what are some of the challenges of producing the Nutcracker and producing this uh, performance uh, after-performance event, The Land of Sweets? Um, well, I just think, you know, I think the after performance is, is, you want it to be beautiful. And that, that space is, it's a big space. You know, there's so much you can do in there and, and, you know, just to hold it down budget wise and, and make, make it, make it beautiful and, you know, not go overboard with it because you really could, you know, just so just to, to keep it in budget and, and keep it and keep it looking looking beautiful and um it, it's a challenge because because you definitely can go overboard with it but but um but it's 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 all good um and then challenges of the nutcracker um you know i just i just think this it's 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 hard i think with with children this say this this day and time they do a lot of things um and just to, to get them all there and, you know, get them to commit it, get them committed. And I mean, they're committed, but to, to, to really get them all there at the same time. On the same page. On the same page. I mean, they are still children, you know. Um, it, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. So um, I would say that's probably the biggest challenge. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.
www.thepetsoftoday.org. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Hall Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. 